we continue on with Elijah. Uh, last week, we saw that uh, Elijah had uh, gone to Ahab after uh, hiding for him for uh, three and a half years. And uh, Ahab had challenged the religion of Ahab, the king in, in northern Israel, uh, which was the religion of the Baals and, and the Asherah. And he had challenged the, the prophets of Baal. Um, and uh, God had shown himself to be God and the, uh, the Baals to be a figment of man's imagination. Uh, but after this, uh, we see what, what happens. Um, Elijah has uh, run back to the city of Jezreel um, and ahead of Ahab. And, and Ahab um, speaks to his wife, uh, Jezebel, who has brought um, Baal worship into uh, northern Israel in an exponential form. So we begin with uh, chapter 19, verse 1. Uh, this is God's word eternally true. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and, and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness that's printed for you in your bulletins. The word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Thanks indeed to you, God, for this, your word. We have it and the world does not. What a privilege. We know who we are because of this book. We know who you are because of this book. Help us to understand you more. Help us to understand ourselves more. Help us to see your goodness to us and how you provide for us in your goodness. Help us from this to know how we can be strong, that we might patiently endure in this life and fulfill why we were created, to bring you glory, that is. We pray, Jesus, that you would preach to us by the work of your Spirit, that you would bring in us repentance and a reshaping of our view of you and our view of ourselves based upon new things we learn from your word here today. We pray this, Father, uh, to the glory of you and your Son, and in your Son's name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so we look at this in this passage, uh, in the life of Elijah. And if you'd like to fill out blanks in an outline, you're welcome to do that now. Um, and number one, just kind of as something 
you know that Jesus is drumming in his disciples before he leaves the earth, before he goes to the cross, and that we've been talking about a lot, and we're seeing here as the kingdom has been split into the north and the south in the book of 1 Kings. As a Christian in the world, this is your number one point, as a Christian in the world, you will be persecuted. Okay, so we're to understand this is the norm. Now, those who first read First and Second Kings, they knew this. They were in exile. <laughs> they had been persecuted by Babylon and, and pulled from their homes in the Promised Land across, back across the Jordan River into a land far off in the, in the east. And that was Babylon, modern-day Iraq, basically, is Babylon. And so they had been persecuted. They knew this, but they had this connection point as they read about Elijah. Um, Elijah was a persecuted figure. And so you can look there in verse, in verse two, um, look down there. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. Just kind of funny sidelight here. Um, you know, the way you take an oath in Israel is say, is you say, may the Lord deal with me, you know, L O R D in all caps, Yahweh, the God of Israel. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by, and then you give the oath. If I haven't done this. And, but Jezebel is not calling on the real God. She, she says, may the gods deal with me. Um, still um, uh, uh, stout in her false religion. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them, like one of the prophets of Baal, who had just been executed according to biblical law um, for somebody who promotes a false god in the promised land. Okay, so we kind of do that today in the church. We don't kill, put someone to physical death, but the promised land today on earth, the church, if somebody comes in the church and promotes a false god, we revoke their church membership. Um, and that is our casting them out uh, it's you know, more popularly called excommunication. They're excluded from communion. That's excommunication. We're saying we as a member, as, as officials of the church, the elders of the church, we do not view you to be a believer anymore. Not that you had salvation and you've lost it, but we think we were mistaken in our evaluation of you in the first place as apparent by the fact that you're promoting a false God here. And so we would love for you to repent and believe in Jesus and to come back in. But we're revoking your membership. Or if a, a non-believer, someone not even claiming faith in Jesus, comes in here and starts with some other teaching, we say, no, that's not correct. And that's our, <laughs> that's our executing the prophets of Baal, so to speak. That's how we do that uh, according to uh, uh, New Testament directives here. But yeah, um, verse two there, uh, verse three, um, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. He, became, he came to Beersheba in Judah. And he left his servant there uh, uh, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. So he's essentially exiled. He's doing what's right, but he's exiled. He should be favored by the king, thanked by the king, brought into the king's confidence and, and be an advisor to the king. But instead, he's being persecuted. And that persecution means he's in exile. That means his life is in danger. And you know that, who are in secular vocations, unlike me. You know what it's like when you, 
you know, want to uh, live out your Christian beliefs in your in your jobs, or if you want to say that in your neighborhood to your neighbor or to your unbelieving family, you know you may be cast out. You know you're in the desert on that one, so to speak. And so we can relate to this, this persecution of being Christians um, in a non-Christian world, in the midst of the kingdom of the world, being part of the kingdom of Christ. We know what persecution is. And so Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.12, and indeed all who desire to be godly in Christ Jesus, you know the rest, will be persecuted. That's a promise. <laughs> if you're being godly, you will be persecuted. If you're not being persecuted, maybe you need to be more godly. You know, that's a valid question to ask. Um, now, number two, number two, because of this persecution, something we see here in, in, in scripture that gets highlighted and we get a, a show here in this passage because of persecution, depression, that's your blank and great distress can happen in you. Uh, the Bible speaks to this. David writes many Psalms out of depression out of great distress. Some of the words we see of Jesus are out of great distress. And we see this in Elijah as well. So because of persecution, depression, great distress can happen. That is, it's understandable when it happens. Um, we'll, t we'll, we'll talk about that a, 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 a little bit here as we look at these passages. You know, in Psalm 137, we didn't read that this morning. It's a psalm written in exile. And the psalmist talks about being, you know, in the in the streams of Babylon and being taunted by the, by the Babylonians. Them saying, hey, sing us a song of Zion. Zion being Jerusalem, mocking them for the dominance that they have been subject to from Babylon. And it's a psalm of great depression and distress that they're no longer in the land of God's presence and that they're under this constant persecution. There are captive people who aren't free to go back to the promised land. And so we see that that depression, that that uh, um, subdued uh, spirit in, in uh, God's people there in Psalm 137. Um, we see it in David. Um, he had it in Psalm 142. Here's the situation with Psalm 142. David surrounded by his comrades who are all pro-David, who have left family and home to follow David and fight for him. He's got this band of people who are around him fighting for him um, against, uh, against Saul, um, who's seeking David's life. And David is in, in a cave. Saul is trying to kill him. And you know some of these cave situations with David. Even Saul comes in a cave once and and his companions are so for David. They're like, kill him now. The Lord has given Saul into your hands. Take his life. And David won't because Saul is the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, right? For those of you who are in Sunday school, he's the Messiah one. And David won't lay a hand on Saul because regardless of the way Saul's living now, at one time, God put his anointing on Saul. And David says, I respect the office. And so I won't touch the man. Um, but here's what David says, surrounded by his companions who are successfully eluding Saul. Psalm 142, verse 4, David says, Look to my right and see. 
No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. This is depression speaking. This is what we feel like. If you've been depressed, you know, you know this, you know this feel. Um, people are for you. The whole world isn't against you, but you don't feel that way. David's literally surrounded by those who have risked life and limb for him. And he says, look to my right and left. Know and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. We see Elijah with this sentiment here, don't we? Look there in this text. Um, there at the end of these versifications are rough. Uh, verse four, um, while I went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Has the Lord never not been supporting? I think I said that right. Has the Lord never not been supporting Elijah? He's always been with Elijah. Now, Elijah is pursued like David had been pursued. But God had always protected Elijah. Elijah had food and drink when nobody else did. He hid Elijah successfully. God had hid all these hundred prophets successfully with Obadiah, even though Obadiah was in this close proximity with Ahab, who would have had their life. God has shown himself faithful over and over again. God is with Elijah. Elijah is facing, what was it, 850 prophets of Baal who could have just turned on him and killed him. The end. Challenge over. <laughs> we would have won. Um, and yet, he's just worn down, isn't he? He's worn down by always having to fight. By living in northern Israel, where it just seems like nobody believes, and I'm all by myself, and those who should be supporting me are against me. Um... Those who should be seeking my advice are not. And so he says, take my life. Let me just go to, go to sleep here and, and die. That'll be good. Um, and so some of you have been there. Um, and, and God just gives us this nice little thing here to say it's okay. That's an understandable thing in our life. It's an understandable way to feel. Um, you don't take your own life. Um, and, and Elijah knows that. So he says, Lord, just I'm going to go to sleep here. Um, that'd be OK if I didn't wake up. I was there one day. Um, Jesus had great, uh, great distress as well. Um, John uh, 12, 27, he says, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Um, everyone should have been supporting Jesus. The Pharisees should have been behind him. Um, the apostles should not have abandoned him in the Garden of Gethsemane, but they do. Um, and Jesus is distressed and troubled. He says, my heart is troubled. Um, Mark 14, 33 in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Deeply distressed and troubled. Mark fifteen thirty four, At the ninth hour, as Jesus was on the cross, 
That's uh, three o'clock. The ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Jesus speaks out of his, his own human nature that we recognize, and he feels forsaken. This is his great distress, the end of his incarnation's persecution. Um, I've come here, Father. I've done everything that you've asked of me. I'm just about to say it is finished because I've done everything you've asked of me. But yet here's how I feel. Um, I'm forsaken. Um, so persecution can do that to us. Um, we live in a life where the world is not supporting us. The, the world is not, you know, just look at the issues of our day. The world is not saying, yeah, women should marry men. That makes sense. Physically, physiologically, emotionally, socially, that all fits. Um, yeah, we should, li you know, let's listen to, you know, Bob here. Hey, you guys, listen to what Bob's saying. This is unique. <laughs> it's become unique, I guess. Um, but but it's not. And, and that's, you know, now we're made to feel like we're weirdos for believing these things that make sense in every category of, of, of academic endeavor that you can go into. And various things like this. Um, don't hate someone from your heart. Don't take revenge. Uh, uh, have patience. All these things that we do because it's the character of God and God has commanded us to be this way. We're made to feel like weirdos. Um, and that can, that can weigh us down make us feel sad, make us deeply distressed, even bring us into depression. Now, number three. So recognize that depression and great distress can happen. Um, but number three, also in this passage, we don't have to wind up like Elijah. We understand when we do. Sometimes that happens. It happens to Elijah, happens to Jesus. So we're okay if it happens to us. God's not saying, how could you? Jesus was there. So he's not saying, how could you when you wind up there? Uh, but we see here, number three, God will provide. God will provide for you what you need to endure it, to endure the persecution, to endure the constant throb from, from the world that says, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're foolish for believing in Jesus. God will provide for what you need to endure. That's what Elijah was getting. You're foolish for believing in, in Yahweh, the true God. You're foolish for following him. You're foolish for thinking rain, he, that he's the sender of rain. You're foolish for living three and a half years out for yourself. You're foolish for being faithful to him. You're foolish for going up against the prophets of Baal. You might get tired and weary, but God will provide for you what you need to endure it. So look at verses five and six here. Verse, verse five. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. New paragraph, halfway through verse five. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Well, where's this food come from? Verse six. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down and lay down again. Um, Peter said, as we read in our um, uh, preparing for the hearing of God's word, you don't even have to turn the page to look up at that. His divine power, God's divine power has given us 
everything we need for life and godliness. This is what he does for Elijah. He gives Elijah everything he needs. Elijah's worn out and, and given to him our, our, our food and water and, and, and sleep uh, there. Um, being a Christian will bring you persecution. Um, God, God says, and we see um, these examples in, in Scripture uh, of this um, bringing emotional distress and sometimes depression, a blue view of reality. Um, God promises us and shows us examples in Scripture that he'll provide for us as we're persecuted and put in distress. And so Philippians 4, 11 through 13, uh, Paul says, you know, sometimes I've been in uh, great need. Other times I've had abundance. But whatever it is, God always provides for me. And he tells the Philippians who have generously given to him to meet his needs as he travels and, and starts churches. My God shall supply all your needs. And so what we need, not necessarily everything we want, but what we need, God will provide it for us in our persecution. Paul knew that very well as persecuted as he was as he delivered the gospel from place to place. And we see his lists in a couple of places in the two um, Corinthian letters uh, of all the troubles he had been through. But he knew that God would always provide for his needs. And you can know that, too, in your lives, that God will provide you with what you need to get through, to endure um, in your in your life um, as you experience persecution and just the the enduring throb of things being against us in this in this life. 